OMG, OMG, OMG. I am so excited to tell you guys all about this new CEU that we are going to be hosting here at Study Notes ABA. And you know, sure as shit, I will be sitting front row and center. What is the CEU, you may ask? It's a right to pleasure, access to sex toys for all. A sex toy for you and a sex toy for you and a sex toy for you. That was me trying to be Oprah, by the way. On Saturday, September 25th, we will be hosting a CEU with Landa Fox, who is a BCBA and certified sexual health educator. She will be talking about the right to pleasure for everyone. This is our clients. This is ourselves. This is you. This is me. Landa talks about sexual health education as a fundamental human right that should be afforded to all. She talks about the individualized teaching of sex education, teaching consent, embody autonomy early, and access to pleasure, as I mentioned before. We as behavior analysts have a responsibility to advocate and to act in the best interest of our clients and to prioritize their rights. Sexual health, wellness, and access are fundamental human rights. And I need you there with me, sitting front row in front of your computer with a glass of wine, ready to take the CEU with me. Just say hashtag pleasure for all. If you wanna join in, because we're the bitches, we got you the hookup. You could use coupon code BITCHESLIVE10 for 10% off live courses. So if you attend this live, you'll get 10% off with coupon code BITCHESLIVE10. Just head on over to ceu.studynotesaba.com and I will see you there. Study notes, So you're trying to study, you need something on the go, you want to pass the test, you need practice of lots of questions, you need games to make it less boring, you need a study group that meets every Saturday and Tuesday live on the group, then you need to download Study Notes ABA app, which you could find in the Apple App Store. On the app, you could compete with other people. You could take full mocks. There are tens of thousands of questions. And the best part is, well, I think one of the best parts is that as you go through, you could check off the different items on the task list to feel that feeling of negative reinforcement of seeing all those aversive things you need to study gone. So if you have an Apple and an iOS phone or device, you should go to the App Store and type in Study Notes ABA, and you have the option to subscribe monthly or to get a lifetime membership. And as always, as you can expect with Study Notes ABA, all the questions are real, raw, and relatable. This is a great way for you to increase your fluency and understanding of ABA across multiple scenarios. So check it out. It's behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. And we are here with episode 102. Casey, what do you have for us today? All right, episode 102. What's your safe word, boo? Okay, this is sounding like it's getting freaky. Today, we will be having a very exciting guest. And wait, 
there's one other person here who's going to help us lead the podcast today. This person is a wannabe behavior bitch, and we decided to make her day and add her on. It's me. It's me. It's Danielle. I've made it to the podcast. (laughs) So if anyone's listening that has taken any of our collectives over at studynotesaba.com, you know this biatch. She is our third teacher. I meet with her all the time. We love the shit out of Danielle. And this could not be a more perfect episode to describe her personality. (laughs) Um, This also comes full circle because we actually met Danielle at a random meetup we created in Dallas. Casey was in town and we're like, okay, let's go to a bar on this night at this place and tell people we'll have a behavior bitches meetup. Sure enough, Danielle was there. I think she was the first person who arrived. I was. I can never get enough of you ladies. You know that. And it was like, it was like an instant friendship. So Danielle, now you're here. I'm so excited to be here. I remember this night and tell me if I'm wrong. Did you order a Bloody Mary? Yes, of course I did. I love a Bloody Mary. (laughs) Don't judge me. At night, I was like, don't judge my drink choice. Okay, well, Bloody Mary is way bigger than a gin and tonic. And I had to drive 45 minutes home. So I was trying to be a responsible adult. That's what I love about you. Thank you. I love that. So today's going to be a wildly cool episode. I'm really excited for it. And Danielle, by the way, could not miss this, as Casey was saying. Casey, who do we have here today? All right, so let me talk a little bit about today's guest that we're so excited to have. Um, So Margot is a student of ABA psychology on the path to becoming a sex therapist slash sexologist slash trauma therapist with specific interests ranging from BDSM and non-monogamy, LGBTQIA and rights, sexual trauma survivors and victims to the human rights of sex workers. In addition to the bachelor's program, Margot is also enrolled in a sex coach consulting program through Sexual Health Alliance. Additionally, Margot is the founder and host of the Psych Ho podcast, where they bring in specialists to talk about the field of human sexuality. They currently run two support groups. One is for pro-doms in Dallas. I think I pronounced that wrong, but I know that it will be fixed soon. And the other is for toxic relationship recovery for people in the lifestyle. There's a lot of acronyms in this intro and a lot of words that we're going to need to be described more by our guest. But Margot, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, you guys. Y'all are great. That was an amazing intro. (laughs) And if no one is, um, no one can see except for us, but behind Margot, the visual for anyone is close your eyes and imagine this if you're not driving yes it's very hot it is hot sexual uh beautiful ass i believe it's theirs and it's <laughs> uh what it like a harness very beautiful but yeah i'm enjoying the show already just by being able to <laughs> i am too i am here for this visual Desto. yeah that's one of my favorite well he's one of my favorite photographers and one of my favorite shibari which is japanese rope bondage um um riggers margo just always giving me all my needs in this podcast yeah you are going to hear words that you have never heard unless maybe you have and like i'm just 
like so vanilla and boring that I don't know any of these words, but I want to first talk about what behavioral concepts we'll talk about before Margot goes any further, because this is so interesting. And also I want to operationally define what is a dominatrix. So the behavioral concepts we will cover today, do not worry, the robot is back, is behavioral contrast reinforcers, environmental manipulation, or functions of behavior, sexual unconditioned reinforcer, preference assessment, matching law, motivating operations, and I'm sure we'll do a shit ton more. And with that, I want to operationally define a dominatrix because we were speaking to Margot, and apparently there's a lot of um, wrong uh, ideas or, you know, Stereotypes. Stere- Thank you, Danielle. Stereotypes around what a dominatrix is. So, according to Margot's operational definition, a dominatrix is someone who dominates individuals of all kinds for payments. Professional dominatrixes practice non sexual domination. All right. Can we get into this? I'm just so excited. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Okay. So, you are a dominatrix. How the fuck did you get into this? <laughs> um, well, I used to do, I've done a variety of different, so technically I got involved in the sex worker community a few years ago. Um, I started with cam modeling and then I kind of went into like sugar baby escort girlfriend experience type things. Um, and eventually, um, I mean, at the same time, I was also involved in the BDSM lifestyle. I got into the BDSM lifestyle after I broke up with one of my partners and, just kind of like went down this crazy rabbit hole of finding different kink apps. And I found FetLife, um, which is like Facebook for kinky people. It's really cool. You can find events, groups. um, You've got like your timeline and stuff. But anyways, I got into that um, as a submissive. And so in like my BDSM and my sex work kind of I got into it kind of around the same time and eventually I just decided I'm like, Oh wow. Like, well, I had a lot of, I had a lot of people coming to me being like, will you dominate me? And I was like really curious about it. Like, yeah, I would like to try that. So I started doing it and I wasn't charging people for it. And I was like, man, I could really, like, you know, make money off of this. Like I'm offering a service to these people, you know, and, you know, they're coming into my space. They're taking up my attention, my time and everything that I've learned over the years um, to be able to practice this safely and go into the more psychological aspects of it. Um, So that's, I just decided to transfer my whole business model into professional domination and it's been about a year now. 
it's interesting. It's interesting that you said you were a submissive and then you transitioned into a dominatrix. So like, what, what were you giving off? Like, why were people coming to you? Especially if you were in that submissive role that they were coming to you, asking you that to dominate them. Well, in my, so I used to do modeling too, um, until I, so being in this line of work, just by the way, uh, increases my risk profile, which is kind of like what I am at risk of, you know, everyone has their own risk profile and mine includes people harassing me. So cyber harassment, stuff like that. I used to model, then this person got my stuff taken down. But during that time, I presented myself as a really like dominant person in my photos and like, because I loved putting on this image. Um, and that's how I got my first few clients was actually through Instagram. And eventually those accounts got taken down and stuff. Um, but and I, I still love doing modeling, but I think it was mostly just the images on my Instagram. I also on my FetLife am pretty like straightforward, clear about what I want. Um, but just because I like to, so my submission has really evolved a lot since I first got into um, BDSM. Uh, it's definitely taken a more active role rather than a passive role, you know? So I'm yeah. dying to know, like, what does a typical session or how does it even, what's the process involved when someone reaches out to you? Mm -hmm. It goes from <sighs> DM to dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> DMs to the dungeon. Can I just slide into your dungeon? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Not without vetting, proper vetting. <laughs> um, the... <sighs> it has taken a long time to like really refine this process um, because we get a lot of time wasters and people who just want to like, just want you to talk to them um, without paying you anything. So I have set up a way for people. They can send me a contact form on my website if they have questions or if they need to do a cash drop. Uh, but typically I have, you know, a pretty well explained um, protocol of how to book a session with, with me. Wait, hold up. Sorry. What's a cash drop? Okay. So a cash drop is if you don't want to use a cash app to send me a oh. deposit, mm. I will meet you in a public setting. Um, I am going to charge you extra because I'm going out of my way to do this for you, but, uh, it's a way for people to keep their discretion, um, safer. Okay. Uh, but typically I like it when people go to my calendar, they find a day, they send their deposit. Um, and then after that, I'll send them forms or, I mean, I have a couple different options too. So like if you want to do a phone call, a lunch or a session, um, there's different protocols around that. But if you're going through a session, uh, you fill out a 10 page checklist that lets me know your experience level, um, your interests, 
your triggers, which are going to be things that um, kind of pull you out of your headspace, pull you out of a good space, um, things that I need to avoid, and health concerns, and some other some other paperwork on aftercare and drop that I just want them to read. But yeah, that's what it comes down to. But so is a session in person. So that's all. That's what happens before we get to seeing each other in person if they're just going to go straight into a session like yesterday i just went to a lunch with someone um and we talked about things that we both liked and stuff like that which i love doing with new clients um because i get to see them in a different space uh, rather than you know just jumping straight into that but i'm okay with that too um first sessions are I call them my R&D sessions. It's a lot of reading their bodies, their body language, um, setting the standard of like how sessions are going to function um, from this point on. Uh, There's a lot of build and exploration. So I don't really take requests from people. Like if someone was to say, Hey, I want you to kick my balls for 10. I literally had someone email me (laughs) the other day and he was like, I want you to step on my balls for 15 minutes. And then I want you to slap me in the face for 10 minutes. And I was like, Okay, this whoa, is whoa, not how that I'm works. The dom. I'm yeah, the dom. fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, fuck off. I was, was so confused. like he was confused. <laughs> Dude, I feel bad for his sperm count. Good lord. So essentially, what you're doing at the beginning is doing like a preference assessment and then a punisher assessment. Like the triggers would be a punisher assessment because you don't want to take them to a place that they don't want to be in. Absolutely, yeah. And so if they okay, let's say they like impact. Um, or let's say they like whips, um, and I'm using a whip on them. I want to make sure that if they are, I have a one client who does this, this thing with his hand where he starts, he starts moving his hand or hitting his hand a lot on the wall, but it's his way of processing pain. And like, I don't know that it's not something that he's going to just tell me right off the bat. So I kind of... Like in a wrestling match, that's like tapping out. Kind of, right? So like it obviously startled me at first. And I'm like, um, so um, but instead of being like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And them just being pulled out of their headspace, I kind of, you know, grab them by the hair, pull their neck back a little bit, and ask them in a really like slow, deep tone, like, what the fuck are you doing with your hand? Or just kind of like incorporate it into the scene rather than make it a issue, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh no, this is like, I'm processing my pain. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's keep going. But yeah. this is where a safe word come in, right? Is there typically safe words? Yes, absolutely. Safe words are always 100% a part of a scene. I will never enter a scene with someone who says they don't use safe words. Um, That's a huge red flag for me. Uh, Okay. I'm not going to say never (laughs) because (laughs) 
I do like have fantasies about being with like long-term partners in my personal life where we don't have to function from safe words. But in my professional life, I will always use a safe word, red, yellow, green. Um, really easy to remember. Red being the scene is over. Yellow being check-in, caution, slow down. Um, green is all good. Gun-ho. Pretty simple. I could remember that. I was just going to ask if there was like a middle middle of the road safe word. There's like, like this is a little too much. But guys, anyone studying for the exam? Sorry, side note. You are discriminating, right? And when you're giving the different color signal, like okay, this one you'll keep going, this one you'll stop, right? So that's, mm-hmm. you're discriminating of what is you know what you are supposed to be doing at that moment. But it's interesting how you also want to make it fit into the scene because. If it's a straight up, like, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, well, maybe you'll feel like an idiot or something. Some, like, <laughs> random things are like, you know, what color are you seeing right now? Because sometimes they have their eyes closed. Um, what color are you seeing? Uh, you know, what's your favorite? Depend. I mean, it depends on the vibe. Like, what's your favorite colored? What's your favorite colored Skittle? What's your favorite color? Like, whatever. You just kind of, like, got to... I don't know. I like so to whisper it. You're asking them in a way without asking them like blatantly, like, do you need to say a safe word? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you look like you may need to say yellow. <laughs> yeah. Red M&M. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. It kind of took me a while to get there, but yeah. So is the initial session awkward? Sometimes, yeah. Um, everyone kind of comes in a little nervous, you know, because you don't know what to expect. You've never been in the bedroom with this person. So, yeah, what is going to happen? I don't know. Um, it could be like a total mental breakdown. You have to like expect the worst in any given time. There's always got to be an, a plan B and C in place. Um yeah, there's always like a little bit of nervousness. Um, you know, obviously I don't want to hurt anyone. Um, and I do a lot of like discipline, disciplinarianism and, um, humiliation stuff. So I got, and I do, I really enjoy edge play, which is risk. It's more, it increases someone's risk profile. Like there could be blood or breaking of skin or, fear, like intense fear. And to get to those places, I really have to like slowly, slowly build. And that's not going to happen in a first session. So it just, yeah, I'm just reading their, their, you know, initial reactions to. What are some examples? What are some examples of edge play? Uh, So some examples of edge play, one of my favorites is, um, hot knives. Um, that would be, I have these throwing knives that I heat up with a blowtorch and I will run them really quickly across someone's um, skin and it breaks the skin maybe about four to five layers deep. So that's not like, like gushing blood or anything, but it does eventually like blood starts, um, to rise to the surface. Um, 
but that you know that's something that you would have to like clean afterwards with like alcohol swabs and you clean it beforehand too you make sure all of your tools are sanitary another form of edge play would be um, needles which i am going to be learning about here pretty soon i'm really excited um so sticking needles viscerally like viscerally in people's skin um you can do a lot with that. I was just talking to someone last night about how this girl or this person had needles like all in the back of their arms, like their arms were out like a cross, right? Oh, all in the back, kind of, but <laughs> they're like laying on your skin, right? Um, she was hanging suspended from these needles and her feet were off the ground and they were doing a like, <laughs> is this a little too vulgar? For no, it's, I, I love it. I, I just going. am petrified of needles. Like okay. I've been to like EMDR therapy for my like fear of needles. So this is like great um, exposure therapy. Okay. I'm just listening in. Yeah. Sorry about my face. It's just stuck like that. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure that all the listeners. I get like, like, I get like tingly, you know, they put, put a little trigger warning on this. Um, episode. Yeah, I would say so. I just think it's so interesting. Everyone's preference, right? Like thinking about like you have these people fill out this, this 10 page thing that says, these are the things I'm like, I'm new to this. These are the things that would set me off. Um, but then like you're meeting, like they could go and work and be a teacher. Right. And then they come to you and, or, and I would, when you're talking about meeting someone, all I could picture was Starbucks. Like you guys are going to Starbucks. Literally. But it's just the 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 preferences that people have are very interesting. I wouldn't ever think about knives I could get. Needles, I would have never put that together. Mm-hmm. That that would be something that someone would enjoy, but apparently it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many, so many different kinks out there. Like if it's, you know. List them off for me. Give me give me oh a few interesting gosh. ones. Besides feet, I feel like everyone's go-to is a feet. Right. Everyone, I feel like feet is very trendy. Okay, so I actually have like a list of like 250 different fetishes. That Real I'm quick, I will. Um, I'll plug our episode 69. <laughs> go back and listen to it if you want to learn about kinks e. or there fetishes. What's e. the difference? Is there a difference? Kinks and yeah, fetishes? well. Technically, I had to I had to look this up a few years ago, but a fetish is something that you like can't live without. And then a kink is like something that you kind of like dabble around with. You try it out. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So Danielle's got a lot of kinks. I would I was just thinking that. Hmm. <laughs> Danielle's like sharpening her knives in the background. <laughs> Ted is like literally. He's already nervous at work. He's sweating. He's like, oh I'm God. so nervous. I don't want to go home now. <laughs> you can't That's say the cute. word before we start. You can't You can't be calling out red. Right. I just looked at you. <laughs> Dude, I feel red around you, Danielle. <laughs> mm. Okay. Give me some good ones off your list over here. Okay. I think <sighs> that you've actually, okay, so- like, that you've, like, Engaged with someone potentially. Engaged in okay, well, I don't know there's going to be a few that right. I've engaged in, a few that I haven't engaged in. I'm there's okay. a few that I'm really curious about. Um, abduction play, so like literally like being kidnapped and thrown in a trunk and kept in a basement. 
type of thing or whatever is negotiated. Um, some people are into begging. Like that's a pretty, you know, like, please, you know, fuck me, please let me suck your cock, whatever it may be. People that really turns people on. Um, you know, I don't really like it when people beg. I feel like there's way better things for them to do with their words. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, like, one thing, off. Yeah, off. literally, like, shut the fuck up. Don't you like? You you can be be like use those words much more. Like, are you a bitch? Right like, not yeah. a behavior bitch, but are you like 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 you could be an asshole, right? That's part of it. Yeah, I was trying to, <laughs> I was at a, I was at a um, rope social last night where we, a bunch of people who like to play with rope got together and we hung out. And like one of my friends was like, my, uh, my slave, my submissive likes to pick me up. They are a lot shorter than their submissive, a lot, like half the size. And and they were like, yeah, he likes to pick me up and call me um, like Teddy, Teddy Daddy or something because because they're like super like squishy and like, like short and small and can pick them up. And uh, so then someone looks at me, they're like, well, what do what do your submissives call you? And I'm like, mm, it would probably be somewhere around the, the lines of like a conniving cunt because I am. <laughs> that was very- the worst. <laughs> I love the word cunt, first of all. Just really like it brings you joy. Um, it brings you joy. What's sorry, also, I'm interrupting you in between. I'm just so fascinated. What's like too rude? Like, what's like there's like one thing where it's like, 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 I don't know what, like, when's it like too far? Like, you look like a fucking inbred. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. I get what you mean. That's going to vary to each like, person. Like I'm saying, like at a certain point, they're like, whoa, bro. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, and that's what wow, the triggers are. the for. smallest dick I've ever seen. Wow. Oh, yeah. An extra belly button. I feel like, like there's a kink that for that, though. <laughs> yeah. I feel like telling somebody they have a small dick is probably a kink that they're into. So that may not work for that really? person. <laughs> yes. Well, it just depends on your person. Like, right. I've had people, I mean, I've had people ask me just the other day about race play and, you know, using words that I feel really uncomfortable using um, to talk about their race in a degrading fashion. And I, it's, it's their kink. I get it, but like, I still have to be comfortable, you know, doing it. And there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, if someone wants to, me to like humiliate their small cock, I'll do it. That's easy. <laughs> like, baking baking cookies. Cookies. <laughs> like baking cookies. Like baking cookies. Like, yes. Like baking cookies. Easy. easy. <laughs> okay. Keep going through them. Sorry. I cut you off. Um, okay. So another one of my favorites is body modification. Uh, that would be things like piercings, um, tattoos, injections, um, lip sewing, both sewing? types of lips. Oh, my. 
sewing, stitching. Ooh. Did oh you trained God. in that? Like medically trained in that? I'm yes. so like shocked right now. You have to be, right? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say you have to have like a license to do it, but you are definitely trained in how to keep everything clean and um, safely insert and remove. Sewing okay. clips together. Anyone studying for the I've test. I've seen people's And this is studying for the test. You should definitely always seek out a professional who has experience in the area that you're it's looking true, to though. into. Yeah. Absolutely. No, and that's huge in the community is like you do not – you don't just, you're not just like, oh, you know, I want to stick needles in someone. Like, no, you go to someone who knows needles, has practiced needles, knows the ins and outs of what could happen. You learn about the anatomy of the body and you learn where to put them, um, what's going to happen, all that good stuff uh, before you just do it. I'm just imagining like going to the ER and being like, like, so why the fuck were you sewing your lips? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's not the worst the ER has seen. Oh my God, no, definitely not. So those are a little, those are like kind of extreme. Um, but I, I, I like really like extreme stuff. So, so what if, if you had to scale it back and not go as extreme? What are some, what are some middle of the road kinks? Middle of the road. Um, okay, so. There is, uh, I'm like literally looking at this thing. I have, I have a like puppy mask hanging from my pull-up bar over there. And so that's, Are you I doing pull-ups like on that? Are you working out on that? I sometimes do. Yeah. I, I didn't know. Do. I don't know what's oh. for what anymore. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you never know. Are you, you never is someone know. like hanging by the dick over that? I don't know. By the dick. No, I have a <laughs> suspension rig for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say puppy play. Puppy play is super, like, it can be, like, really wholesome. Um, it really depends on, like, what a person wants during puppy play. But it has nothing to do with, like, fucking animals. That's bestiality. Um, but puppy play is more like a person or a kitty. Like, there's kitty play or wolf play or whatever kind of animal you want to be. Um, you, you act out your animal, you know, you play fetch, you drink out of a bowl of water, you, you know, get pets, you snuggle. Um, it's really cute. I've done peppy play with uh, one of my clients and I loved it. I was like throwing the ball, for, <laughs> throwing the ball for them and like giving them treats. And you know, I loved oh it. Oh my God. I do this with my nieces. I never <laughs> exactly. know. One second, one second, her name's Liv. The next thing she's like, I'm not Liv, I'm Koopa. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but they're four. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Um, yeah. It's like going, you know, going to that really innocent place and just experiencing something different that's like not accepted in your day-to-day -day life. I imagine it to be kind of, so I know my claim to fame Casey, and Casey never knows this word, but I took improv classes for a couple of years. And there's something like really freeing about like just letting go and, you know, like just like you're all out of fucks. Like you mm. just, you're going to act weird. Like, okay, right now I'm about to be a roly poly in your ear, you know, and you're like, mm. 
all right, well, that's fucking, you just like do it, right? And you like, just go along with it. And I think there's probably some, I'm imagining some similar aspect of like, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Absolutely. Which, like, I don't know if I could go to this level. But, but I think that's definitely. where the safety part comes in and, and um, the the mutual understanding and respect that Margo would have with her client and vice versa so that you could go to that place where you feel safe, where you can be this whatever it is and just be, right? There's mm-hmm. no limitations or restrictions. You can just be and do and, and enjoy because that's why they're going to you, right? They're, they obviously enjoy this, some whatever you're providing for them, right? Oh, absolutely. They wouldn't do it if they didn't enjoy it. Well, I mean, if they keep coming back, we know that's reinforcement, right? Like, yes, obviously increases the future frequency. Mm-hmm. Okay, so who is your typical client? <clears throat> um, well, I've had a variety um, for all walks of life. Um, the most common people that reach out to me are people who are trying to waste my time. That's number one. Um, then I get the people who typically don't come back, who are the people who have a lot, a lot of money and they want things to happen their way. Right. And if a session doesn't go the exact way that they want it to, um, typically won't see them again. Um, then I have my return clients who are, um, uh, engaged in the lifestyle in their personal lives and kind of middle of the road people. Uh, one of, one of them is a data, data analyst. Um, and one of, well, and the other one is retired. I think he works on a ranch. Um, you know, they're just normal people. Um, that because I don't know if it's a stereotype, but there's like the common, I feel like, or at least with anything I've read, it, it always it seems like it's a lot of people who are what we call experiencing behavioral contrast. So but I don't know if this is true. Well, let's say like, oh, you're the you're the head of Google and you run Google and you're just bossing everyone around all day. And so like in that setting, you're that, but then when you go to another setting, it's like you're the you're complete the opposite. Right. You'd yeah. be the submissive person. Mm-hmm. Do you, is that true at all? It's definitely common. I mean, you can, it's definitely there. You see it for sure, but I don't like stereotypes and, mm-hmm. um, but it is, it's pretty common. A lot of the time, so there are so few dominant um, females in the lifestyle that um, it's really like, it's hard to find like quality dom femmes. Um, So when they do find one, you know, it's typical that they're going to charge you. Uh, And it all like, like, they come from very like interesting, like life situations. Like I know I knew this one person that was married or is married and um, like she was his mistress 
and their relationship kind of changed to the point where she wanted to be submissive. And so he went out and, and tried, needed to find another dominant in his life that could, you know, provide him with that, you know, submiss- submissive release that he needed. Interesting. Okay. So you do this. Let's talk about your form of reinforcement. So you do this, you make money, right? And this is yes. your livelihood, like how yes. you support yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So I'm assuming that's something that maintains your behavior of doing this, but are there other aspects of it that you find reinforcing? Like it's meeting your needs in some, in some way. Absolutely. Um, Well, first I get to explore my, um, top side, my dominant side. So I have been on the other side of the slash for three years And I know what it's like to be a submissive. I know that these are the feelings that I want to feel. So I get to kind of, and this is, this is similar to why I got into the field of human sexuality, because it's like embracing your, when I embraced my sexuality, I gathered and cultivated all these skills that I was able to apply to multiple areas of my life, including professional, academic, um, personal. um, And it was similar to like discovering my sexuality. I get to do it in more depth now. So I get to explore like creating a chaotic space, being in control of that chaotic space, taking people to the edge and not, you know, hurting them to the point where they're going to be traumatized. Um, that requires a lot of control, planning, um, negotiations, um, communication, uh, research, uh, safety protocols. There's so much that goes into it and paying attention to those fine details. Like I love that shit. Like I love creating this like fantasy and exploring this like third dimension of ourselves, um, providing that space for people and at the same time being able to explore myself and get paid for it. So really the money's just a bonus for you. I'm just I'm really <laughs> happy that I can get paid for it. Right. Yeah. That's that's really like exciting, but there's so much more that I gain from being a dominant and I couldn't, you know, I'm never going to give it up. I'll be doing it for the rest of my life. Do what you love and you never have to work another day in your life. <laughs> I probably will not be a pro dom for the rest of my life, but I will always be able to uh, experience that side of me. That skill will always be in your repertoire is what you're telling us. Yeah. It'll always be a part of my arsenal. <laughs> your toolkit. I love it. So you had said earlier when we did like a quick pre-interview before the show that you actually like inflicting pain on others. Mm-hmm. Is this something, and you're like, you were saying, yeah, it's awesome because I like doing this already. And so now I'm doing it as part of my job. And is this something that from a young age, like, I, I mean, maybe not sexually or anything, you were like, like, I like causing <laughs> pain. <laughs> um, I would not say that at like a young age, I I, you know, I'm not saying that this is like, you know, going to be across the board, but no, for me, I did not, um, 
think I liked hurting people um, until I actually hurt some, like hurt someone, you know, I was like, Oh, that was fun. Oh. And they liked it and they want more of it. Okay. Um, but are you really hurting them though? I mean, I know like you're physically hurting them, but to them, it's so reinforcing. It's it like, is. it's a interesting divide of like, well, the hurting could be the reinforcement. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like the, the pain that she's providing for them is typically would be described as pain, but for them, it's very pleasurable. So a lot of times there are very, very few people who actually feel pleasure when they feel pain, when they feel pain. Um, from what I understand and from what I've experienced, the pain is a vehicle to get you where you want to be. Um, so the headspace that you get to experience when you go through those heavy amounts of pain and surrender um, is what you're really looking for. So like I like just because I'm a masochist doesn't mean I like it. I like, you know, I love the feeling of getting a tattoo or I love it when people slap me in the face. It's like, no, I only do that. It fucking hurts. And I, I only do that because I enjoy the headspace that I get to go into. I get that. Okay. I got a lot of tattoos. I get that. Yeah. This might be a weird parallel and not the exact same, but you know, like when individuals, let's say, engage in like cutting behavior, like cutting of their wrist or cutting skin, whatever it is, a lot of the time, like, or like if I've spoken to someone, it's like, it's not that I like to actually cut, like the behavior of the cutting. I like the feeling of relief or um, like what I'm getting from it as opposed to like, like I enjoy the act of cutting the, the therapeutic or piece cutting, of it. like, yeah, it's more like what the, the consequence or the, mm -hmm. you know, the relief factor. Mm -hmm. The therapeutic piece of going through that pain. Or that negative reinforcement even, that idea of like you're in pain now, but the idea of coming out of it probably is also like a high in itself of getting out, you know? Absolutely. Uh, like that's yeah, what I'm you're thinking. Challenging yourself, you're pushing your limits. Like you know, you're seeing how strong your body can be. Um, you know, I do not, I do not advocate for BDSM as therapy. Um, you should go to a therapist for therapy. <laughs> but there are people who experience cathartic experiences when they practice BDSM and have an emotional release and. I mean, and that's why you've got to have plan B, A, B, C in, in place because someone might go through a traumatic, you know, trigger and start having a panic attack or whatever. Maybe it start bawling, crying, shaking, whatever, you know, and you have to be prepared for those moments. Like, do you become nice in that moment? Absolutely. Well, and you have to gauge like it when it's happening. Um, do you yeah, call the when, scene at that point? Absolutely. Yeah. If someone's going through a, you know, I would personally, I know that there are people who continue through them. I do not advocate for that. Um, I believe if someone is going through a traumatic, like cathartic experience, 
um, shaking, crying. I think that what they need, um, because they can't make a sound decision in that moment, is that they need comfort and safety and the ability to process that um, without adding more stimulation to the experience. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, but you know, it's such a beautiful fucking world. And that is like, I am so passionate about the world of BDSM because of these experiences people get to have that um, they have curated, they have agreed to, they understand the risk that comes with it. They, you know, um, they get to process things that, you know, some people never get to do in their entire lives, you know, generations. So, um, and like I said, when I mentioned the, the whole third dimension, it's like that our sexuality is the third dimension of who we are. Um, and What's the first two? I would, I would say, I would say that like your first two are kind of like your professional and like your personal interests, right? Okay. And then you've got like your sexuality that no one really hears about, no one really talks about. It's kind of taboo, mm -hmm. but it is very much a part of who you are. And I like to go as far to say that sometimes it guides um, a majority of our daily decisions. Um, it's such a like primal and creative force. And by entertaining it, by allowing it space, giving it space intentionally, cultivating it, listening to yourself, trying new things. You're really like stepping into this facet of who you are and adding to who you are, skills that you can apply in all areas of your life. Um, and living in this like, this like make-believe world kind of. Well, I think that's a good place to be with how fucked up the world is right now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It is an escape. It's an escape. It's escape sure. maintained, guys. So there's different functions of this. I just want to get, bring it back for a second to our behavioral understanding. So what I'm hearing throughout this is, first of all, as you guys know, sex is an unconditioned reinforcer, right? And when we talk about deprivation of sex and satiation of sex, we're talking about motivating operations, right? You know, whether we want to do something or we, whether we find sex valuable or not in a given moment. And so, and what I'm hearing is, let me try break this down in my head as I'm speaking. There's also different, you know, functions being met through this engagement of, you know, the BDSM, such as escape. It could be like, if this is your escape, it might be escape maintained, which is one of our four functions of behavior. Maybe it's attention. Maybe people like the attention being on them and this, you know, this one-on-one -on -one attention. Um, Margo is, what is your name? Is your name Margo on when you're engaging in these as the dominatrix? As the dominatrix, I typically go by Mona Wolf. You're into wolves. I am. I'm very much into wolves. Do you know lupus is a word for wolf? I did not know that. <laughs> I know because I'm a proud lupus owner. Um, 
<laughs> okay, so maybe it's the attention by Mona Wolf that is being provided. So we said escape, attention. It could be um, tangible because you would have access to items that you wouldn't typically have access to, like the rig or the and the ropes or the knives or the needles or the sewing of things. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And last automatic function, that sensory input. If you like the feeling of pain or if you don't like the feeling of pain or you like the feeling that you get as a result of the pain, um, if it feels good or maybe you're, again, you're liking the fact that it doesn't feel good. And so that negative reinforcement of removing something painful feels good. Sorry, I know I got deep there, Margo, but this is just in case anyone That's is trying so fascinating. to- Yeah, to get their freak on while studying. You know, they can mm -hmm. do both here with the behavior bitches. <laughs> I love it. Well, is there anything else that we need to ask how do you separate your work professional life from your personal relationships? Um, so I, I prioritize my time where I believe my time is needed, right? Where I, where I want to spend my time. Um, I usually don't do more than six hours of work a week because it is really draining and I need I need to take care of myself after care, so to say. Um, and in my personal kind of romantic love life, whatever you want to call it, I, I am primarily the submissive. And so I seek partners that um, have the ability to pull that out of me. Um, and... Should I mention the RA thing? Okay, yeah. so I I practice polyamory and I practice relationship anarchy at the same time. Um, this means that everyone, every person in my life, doesn't matter like, you know, if you're a client or if you're my mom, um, is on the same playing field in terms of like, uh, how, I how, mu how much I care about them. Um, I don't believe that love is something that you can quantify. Uh, it is more qualitative and you, I attribute different qualities to people in my life. They have a role that I, that they play a need that they fulfill for me. And then that's how I decide to prioritize my time. Um, I'm sure that shifts daily too, based on your needs, right? Absolutely. And I have, you know, I communicate that with my partners. RA polyamory is not the most common. Um, there's, there's a lot of like hierarchical polyamory, um, but I like to function out of RA because it's more like I get to decide where I want to spend my time rather than placing a label on someone being like, this is my primary partner, which means I need to spend primarily all of my time with them. Um, it just comes with these with these stereotypes or preconceived notions of like how I spend my time. Aren't a lot of us doing that? I mean, when I think about it, I'm, I mean, sure, I'm married, so I have like this primary partner, right, on paper and legal documents. But uh, like according to what we call matching law, it's this idea that like 
at any given moment, you have a choice, right? Whether it's like you have five people and I decide to go have my conversation with with you, right? Like right now, because I find you interesting or more reinforcing to what I'm interested in doing based on my current, my needs, which are also our, what do we call motivating operations of, you know, um, like this person cooks for me. So I might go there because I need to get food or I'm taking it really down to like our basic human needs, you know, um, or this person, or this is, well, this person's person, giving me attention. Yeah. This person's giving me attention. I'm getting shelter from this or whatever it is. I mean, that is the definition of matching law in terms of like where you're allocating your time. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is, you know, a lot of different, you know, terms with other fields of interest speak the same language as us. We just use different mm-hmm. terms, which I find really right. interesting. It's, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's that behavior goes where reinforcement flows. So you are just without the stipulations of like, this is my primary partner. I should allocate 90% of my time to you because of blah, blah, blah. You're, I love that you threw your mom in there. Like, it's <laughs> hey, mom, what I was about to say. <laughs> I just love that it was your mom. You were like my mom and then my all of my partner, which is so funny. But like, it's just it's just interesting, right? You know, like you are going to, your MO is going to drive you and your behavior. Where, where do you want to go? What's going to be reinforcing at the moment? Maybe you need a hug from your mom and that's where you're going to spend your time versus this, this partner provides this need for me that I can be submissive in this type of way. Um, so I'm going to go spend that time with them because that's the need I need to be met currently. Absolutely. I mean, it's so true. Ellie Ron cannot meet every need. Like when I need like some emotional things, like I'm going to reach out to a friend or, you know, if I'm not going to like, he's not going to meet that need for me or, you know, when I want to talk something out, some things, sure, I could talk to him about, but not everything. Yeah. And you just can't expect someone to do that either. Right. Like that's so much pressure on one person to be your everything. Right. Stop telling Matt that I tell him that every day. You're my everything. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I literally was thinking this is all you post. You're my everything. Matt all the time. Okay. Now now you know you're gonna have to get (laughs) you're gonna have to get some additional partners, whether that be (laughs) me or Liat, and you need to allocate your time a little bit more. (laughs) Amen. That's cute. Hey, no, and I'm all on board. Like monogamy works for some people. And it is like, it is a totally valid way to live your life, you know, Mm -hmm. but you could have it with a twist. And I don't mean like swinging. I mean, like initially in my marriage, like in the beginning, I was like freaking out. I'm like, am I in the right marriage? Like, I can't, like, I don't feel like I'm being stimulated like mentally in the same, like that I, that I need to be like, I am with like, when I talk to Casey or Danielle or whatever it is. And like, I was like freaking out. And then I like started realizing like, yo, he doesn't have to be that too. Like, you know, there's other aspects that like this person provides me like such security and safety and like such like a caretaker in these ways that I don't need that from other people. You know, just that idea of that. I mean, again, if it works for someone, but it is a lot of pressure that I used to be like, he's not this. But at the same time, you, you got to have those different things for different people. But I think that you brought us to a perfect wrap-up point, and this is to your mom. How did your – does your mom know about this, and how the fuck did she react? Yeah, no, great question. Um, <laughs> my mom and my dad both know about about my – all of my shit. 
and uh, my poor parents have been through the ringer. Um, so technically I was outed um, to my dad about BDSM and, you know, that entailed a quick Google search of what BDSM was and chastising me about it, yada, yada, yada. Um, I flipped out because, um, as one would, uh, and I had naturally just kind of opened up to my mom about it, about BDSM. This was years ago. And so, and she, she's like, okay, like, you know, I can, I can try to understand. And she didn't really, she just really, really wanted me to be safe. Um, and eventually, yeah, now they, they, you know, they all know that I have multiple partners. My dad kind of the way that he um, uh, feels comfortable is by like making jokes about it. And my mom has finally come to a place where she actually asks me about my other partners, which makes me really happy um, instead of pretending like, the only thing I do with my life is, you know, go to school and eat food. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then going into like sex work and pro dom, um, they, I had told them about sex work back then and they were very, very upset about it. Um, it just takes Are they pretty time, traditional? Like, oh yeah. Very, um, traditional. I mean, I feel like sex is just one of those things people just don't like to talk about. It makes them uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. It just makes them un uncomfortable to talk about it. Or like even thinking about like if you had some type of kink, you're not really going to share that either because people are assholes. Like you said, somebody outed you. Like people are assholes and they'd be like, ooh, why are you into that? Just because, again, preference. I can like it and you don't have to like it, but people are just assholes about it. Like yeah. I would never share my like, porn searches <laughs> <laughs> i cannot Ooh. wait i cannot wait, wait to i need to check your cookies <laughs> no you don't <laughs> i no whatever your computer's porn, been fucking breaking all the time lately it's because she's, she's on a porn hub she you know what no, i, I don't use my computer i use my phone come on i don't hey i'm not judging you i can't wait we can compare we can compare I'm excited for this. That would be a really fun, that would be a really I, fun, like, girls' night, you know? Oh, let's it's do so that when we go to the Alanis Morissette concert. Okay. I don't, I don't trust you. I have nothing to, to share with that. I legit have nothing to add. I don't think, like, I have, like, ever sat and watched porn, ever. Wow. Wow. Right. Now I feel like we definitely have to, I, can we watch porn with her, Casey? <laughs> Yeah, like when you're like seventh grade and you all start to sit around and awkwardly like watch it and you're like, yep. oh my God, yes. I'm, tink I'm tinkling down there, but I don't want anyone to know. It's just so, oh my God, this, it's so gross. This is what we're doing. We're now, we're all just all three of us sitting together watching some porn with some popcorn and some wine. Oh my God, that's so cute. Oh, I love it. Well, you know what? I'm glad that, you know, you were honest in with who you are and you know what? your parents, I'm sure, accept you and love you and deal with it in their own way. Um, yeah. I deal with a lot of things in humor that make me uncomfortable. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. But I'm just grateful and thankful that you felt comfortable to come on our podcast and share your story. Um, oh. It's very interesting. And I've learned a lot. I'm sure a lot of people listening have learned a lot. Um, Liat, thanks for always tying back those behavior principles so well. Danielle, you too. You crushed those. Um, and 
I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This has been just as educational for me too. Um, and just fun. You know, I love being able to share this with people. So I love it. And when you're studying for your exam, when you, you know, get through your master's, you never, you know who to hit up the behavior bitches. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think it's just mm -hmm. so great, right? Everything always ties back to ABA. True. Everything we do, it's everywhere. <laughs> behavior is literally everything we do. Matt <laughs> hates when I say literally. I know, but like, <laughs> whatever. He doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Just like, he's like, I'll listen to this podcast. That's <laughs> all right. So where can people find you? Just to um, okay. So you can either find me at my on my uh, podcast website, thepsycho.com, um, with an e at the end of psycho. Um, you can also not find psycho, me not a psycho, like a, a ho, ho, a ho, like a ho. <laughs> you can't turn a hoe into a housewife. I mean, maybe guys, maybe can you can you you can still be hoey no. as a housewife. <laughs> Danielle's living proof, right? Uh, you can also find me at wolfdomination.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at femdommona. F e m d o m mona. Um, those are primarily in my main websites. Uh, I am going to be making a new one for my sex coaching program as well or business as well. So that'll be posted on one of the websites. All right. Stay well, stay tuned. We'll put what we have in the show notes. Please do me a favor. We love data. Take some data of how many people are on your site after this episode, because I'm pretty sure people are going to be like, this is so fucking interesting. I'm, I've, I'm got, I've got to put a face. I've got to put a face to this, like, you know, this person. I'm, I'm going to go hit up your podcast right now, girl. Thanks. There we go. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I've been a little slack, slacking, slack a lacking on it, but I will get the motivation sometime. <laughs> All right, guys. I think it is time to wrap up. This was an awesome episode and I'm feeling very excited to further my research on this. I have like seven Google tabs open on dominatrix <laughs> and fetishes. You need That's kink. Awesome. You got to remember a fetish and a kink are different. Oh yes, yes, yes. You <laughs> must discriminate between the two. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. You know where to find us. Behaviorbitches.com on Instagram at behaviorbitchespodcast on Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast. And as always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home. 
your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm 